phone so mad at me right now. That's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. There you go. that a lot? Yeah. Not for worship, though. No. <laughs> yeah. Not a clue. Uh, well, the only clue I have is the room, the green room. Um, yeah, I, maybe the green room. Were you in there? Well, good morning, Victory Life Church. 
welcome. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's my great honor and privilege to welcome you to church today. We are continuing in our series that you can see behind me, Pursue, Connect, and Ignite. And we believe that God is always pursuing us, and we also believe that it's our call as God's people to look around us and see who God is bringing to us and connect them to what he has for them. We know that God has a plan for each human being on planet Earth, and so we believe it's our call as a church to help others find what God has for them. And we really believe that what we see in the pages of Scripture, and we believe that as we do this today in the 21st century, that the church will ignite as a result of it. And so we're looking forward to hearing more about this series this morning as Pastor Matt continues on with our Pursue, Connect, Ignite sermon teaching. If this is one of your first times visiting us today, uh, we want to extend a very special welcome to you and invite you to check us out at vlchurch.com. There is a banner there that says, Are You New Here? Please click on that banner. and There's a form to fill out. And if you could complete that form, that'll come straight to me, and I will consider it a privilege to communicate with you sometime here in the next few days and get you connected to what God may have for you here if you choose to make Victory Life Church your home. One of the very important ways that we try to connect each and every individual that comes here to Victory Life Church is through our life groups. Life groups, as you may know, are small groups. This is a large group in here, but we try to get you in a small group so that you can make a deeper connection to God's Word, a deeper connection to God's people, so that you can find what God has for you. If you go to our website at vlchurch.com, there is a banner that looks like the one you're seeing on the screen. It says Fall Life Groups. We have a number of offerings, uh, some of which are for men. Uh, one that Tom Hall leads. Tom's over there standing by the door. He's always recruiting men to be in his life group. Give us a wave, Tom. He's that guy over there. If you could wave to Tom, that would be wonderful. It's like a, it's like a homecoming wave. Thank you, Tom. We have life groups for women. We have life groups for couples. We have life groups for those of you that are retired and you don't have anything to do throughout the day. We have a life group on Wednesday at 11 a.m. that's really awesome. We encourage you to check it out if you're looking for something to do and if you want to be encouraged midway through your week. But check out our life groups. There are so many that are starting up here in the next few weeks and so many that are really, really good and great for connection. Uh, speaking of connection, our women's ministry is going to have a women's coffee this upcoming Saturday, and it's going to be here at uh, Victory Life Church in our South Sanctuary starting at 9 a.m. And our goal with this particular event is just to get women connected so that they can get encouraged, they can get lifted up, and they can get united together because life is tough. Would you agree? Life is kind of challenging at times, and so it's just good to gather together, and our ladies are doing this next Saturday here. You don't have to RSVP. Just come and uh, experience some good fellowship and some good time uh, with some other ladies whom are like-minded to that of yourself. I want to remind you also, last but not least, we are having our baby dedication Sunday, next Sunday morning during both services, and so if you have a little one that you would like to consecrate and dedicate unto God, um, please go to our website. You can see the banner on your screen there that says baby dedication. You can actually click on that banner and sign up to have your little one dedicated unto God. And so if you, if you can't navigate our system online, you can certainly call the church and let us know that you would like to do that. But we look forward to having 
our, our little ones dedicated and consecrated unto the Lord uh, next week. Well, if you've come this morning to worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings, you know what to do and how to do it. You can text to give. You can give online at vlchurch.com backslash give, or you can give on your way out as you exit the sanctuary. Our ushers will be awaiting you uh, this morning. So if I can ask you to stand right now in preparation for worship, we're going to offer a word of prayer and enter right in. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we exist here as Victory Life Church, as a church that desires to point people to Jesus because we believe he can rewrite every life story. We point people to him also because we know that he is always in hot pursuit of us. So much so that the gospel writer John said, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, who was Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to get to us, to reconnect us to yourself. I don't think we will ever know how big of a deal this is until we see you face to face. But for now, we have chosen to worship you because of it. May your manifest presence fill our hearts as we lift you up for coming down to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's lift him up together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul.
bless you, Lord, today. We lift your name. You are worthy. When we sing that last verse, and on that day when my strength is failing, that can be tough sometimes. Because what we're saying is no matter what, whether we've got one day left, whether we've got many days left, Lord, we put our trust in you. That no matter what, you've been good, and you'll continue to be good. And there's a reason to bless your name. Sometimes it's hard to trust in the Lord. But I brought this verse to us a couple weeks ago, and I want to bring it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all that you do, and he will direct your path. Our own understanding is flawed. When we try and rely on our own understanding, sometimes the enemy creeps in and tells us what he wants us to hear. But when we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, he makes straight our paths. So even in the moment when that path is straight in the Lord, sometimes we still don't understand. But we know that we're walking in his will, and his will is right. If you're having a tough time trusting the Lord this morning and being able to say, bless you for all you've done, Lord, because I believe in you, because I trust you, I want to pray for you this morning. And I want to ask the Lord to bring some trust into this room, trust into our minds and trust into our hearts. Would you bow your heads this morning? Heavenly Father, I pray that if anybody is dealing this morning with, with trust, that you would move in and reveal yourself to them as a good father, a loving father who comforts his children and who is always dependable, always reliable, even when it's hard. We know we can trust in you because you are unfailing. When times are good, we know we can trust in you because you are unfailing. No matter what state we're in, Lord, we can say it is well with my soul because of who you are, who you've always been, who you always will be. Help us to trust you, Jesus.
remember this always. Here's the reason why. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. All of it is nailed to the cross. Father God, thank you for the peace that comes into our hearts and minds 
when we consider how you've paved the way for us into eternity because of what Jesus endured on the cross and how he overcome the grave, how he overcame the grave. It is because of those things that we can say it is well with our soul. No matter what comes our way, we have eternity in mind when we endure this life and pass into the next. And we thank you for paving the way for us through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Well, we're going to continue into a time of communion this morning. That's why you received the elements when you came in today. But before we do so, I do want to make mention of the fact that many of you may know this already, but in case you don't, uh, one of our beloved brothers in Christ, Greg Rosenberger, uh, went to be with the Lord a few days ago. We just ask that you would continue to pray for uh, his wife, Bonnie Rosenberger, and their family. Uh, if you knew Greg, you knew a man who was upbeat, who is constantly optimistic, constantly positive, and filled with the Spirit of the Lord. If you had the opportunity to interact with Greg, you knew that there was something special about him, and I know that he is face-to-face uh, -face with the Lord Jesus right now, and, and uh, the special things that Greg had in him, uh, the Lord is seeing right now. We take solace in what Revelation 14, 13 says about people like Greg. It says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow them. This is the promise that was awaiting Greg. And it's also a promise awaiting us because of what Jesus, Jesus Christ did when he came to us. So we're going to celebrate what Jesus has done, not only for Greg, but as I said, for all of us. So if you'd like to prepare your elements, I'm going to offer a few comments as you open them up. The small wafer that you see and this small cup of juice, as you know, are symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ who gave both his body and blood on our behalf. He did this because it was God's standard. It was God's standard because the Bible tells us that God demanded a repayment for human sin. Uh, for example, if you're a student of the Old Testament, you know that God's people were, t were taught that they could, be, they could approach God only if there was the blood of a worthy substitute that was given on their behalf for their sin and their wrongdoing. And so if God's people wanted for their sins to be forgiven, and if they wanted to reconnect with their God, they would have to look at their cherished livestock and select the very best and then sacrifice this very best so that they could reconnect with God. So the purpose of this was twofold. First and foremost, to pay for their sin and wrongdoing, as I've already mentioned. And secondly, to illustrate how serious God was about dealing 
with human sin. God demanded one life to be given to redeem another from the power of sin. So as you hold these elements in your hands, know that these elements, as I said, represent the body and blood that was sacrificed by the person of Jesus Christ to deal with your sin and to deal with my sin. The amazing thing is that his sacrifice that Jesus gave was the final thing that God demanded. There was no longer a need for anything else to be given for human sin. God accepted the perfect life of Jesus for all of humanity forever. Listen to what Hebrews 10:14 says. It says, for, for by one sacrifice, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so what that means is that if we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, laying claim to him as God's ultimate substitution for our sin, God then looks upon you and me and sees perfection because of Jesus. And let us always remember, it's not because of anything we did, but because of what Jesus has done for you, for me, for all of humanity. And so before Jesus died on the cross, he paused for a moment with his disciples in similar fashion to the way that we pause right now. And he gave attention to these symbols of this perfect sacrifice that he was about to give. And as they had their last meal together, the Bible tells us that Jesus took some bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat this piece of bread. This is my body given up for you. Can we eat this wafer together? After Jesus and his disciples broke bread, the Bible tells us that he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Can we take the juice together? Let's pray. Father God, I love the way that John writes about what you did through your son, Jesus Christ. He says in 1 John 4 that this is how God showed love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He goes on to say, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John reminds us that you loved us even when we weren't interested in loving you. John reminds us that you loved us even when we were running from you. John reminds us that you loved us even when we doubted you, when we denied you, and defied you. 
may we never forget how John defined the love of God when he said, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loves us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. May you drive that truth so deep in each heart today, God, that they might know how far, how wide, how deep is the love of God and that their lives would tell the story of how you laid down yours for theirs. That is real love. We are your people, God, and may this story we remember today always be told through us. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say together, amen, amen. Well, welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. At this time, young disciples, you may be dismissed. For those of you who are uh, newer here, we were happy last week to announce that our young disciples, our little ones, get to worship with us and then move down the hall is the way we've done it for so many years, and we're excited that they got to take communion with us today and participate in that. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn in them to Luke chapter 3. We're going to be in Luke 3 this morning, and then we're going to move into Luke 4 a little bit. We're going to only look at six verses today. But we're going to look at a movement of Scripture, a, a theology, if you will, of Scripture. Uh, for those of you who have ever done a good Bible study, you'll note that folks oftentimes will write a Bible study around some thematic elements of Scripture. And I want to be able to show you some thematic elements today. So we're not going to be jumping around, but we're going to work through a, a movement or a progression in the life of Jesus. Two weeks ago, we relayed to you on Vision Sunday that we were going to talk this fall about pursue, connect, and ignite. That was the words and the concepts that the Lord gave our staff and our elders as we prayed and got ready for this year. And we really believe God has a big ignition, a big thing that he's going to do among us as more and more people are coming to faith in Christ Jesus and God's church is becoming all that he wants it to be. But we talked and have talked these last two weeks about how that pursue really is the pursuit of the Holy Spirit, the pursuit of God's Holy Spirit, his presence, his voice, his manifest presence in the life of you, the individual believer, not just in the church service or the worship service or the prayer meetings, but, but a pursuit on your part as an individual. And we also talked last week about that connection piece that God wants us to do better than ever as his church on connecting people to the mission of the church, making sure we do a good job with the ones God sends us. So every week this fall, we'll either be talking about pursue or connect, all right? And today we're gonna talk about pursue. We're gonna go back into this concept that each and every Christian should be pursuing the presence, the voice, and the leading of God's Holy Spirit. Now I recognize when I say something like that, you might have a natural inclination a natural feeling about that, something that's intuitive to you. Maybe you didn't grow up in a church at all, so when I talk about pursuing the Spirit of God, you're, you're an open book towards that concept. M maybe you came up in a church that just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. You, you worshipped the Binity, Father and Son, and, uh, and, and not the Trinity. That was, that's a terrible Christian pastor joke. Anyhow, you worship the Binity, not the Trinity, right? 
So, so you just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, or maybe you have certain understandings about who the Holy Spirit is and what his work is in the life of the believer that are different from maybe a brother or sister from another background. But so, so what we want to do is we want to back up here, and we want to do some good teaching about why the individual Christian should want more than just the natural, why the, why the individual Christian should want to go above the natural and into the place where God resides, which is in spirit. And you might say, I don't know that I want that, Pastor Matt. I go to church. I give to the Lord. I, I, I may be even in a life group. I read my Bible. I, I don't know why I, as an individual, need to pursue the Holy Spirit. I get it for church. I get the feel goods. You know, we, we all feel good when, when the Holy Spirit's presence is really felt, but, but I don't know about me. And so I want to do, what I want to do today is to take the idea of the pursuit of the Holy Spirit from the nebulous to the realized, from the question mark to the period, right? A question to some statements. I want us to begin to talk about about what it means to pursue the Holy Spirit and what might happen when we do and why we should in the first place. Now, I want to ask you a question today. Did anybody have the communion elements passed to you and you were like, what is this? Why would I do this? Did, did anybody have that experience this morning? You got the communion elements, you're like, oh, this is weird, right? Oh, a wafer signifying the body of Jesus, a, a, a juice signifying the blood of Jesus, that, 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 that in the spiritual something has happened and, and I'm supposed to, nobody questioned it, why? Because you've been taught on it. You've been raised on it. You've been exposed to it and therefore there's nothing weird about communion to you today. Like if I were to go home back, you should read your Bible this week, no, it would be like, why? Why should I read my Bible? No, we, we've made a case for that in churches for hundreds of years. Yes, read your Bible, study it. The Holy Spirit will speak to you through it. You'll be changed, right? So maybe this nebulous thing that we have going on with the Holy Spirit just needs to be explained. We just need to talk about some what's and some why's so the individual believer can say, yeah, 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 I will take communion. I will read my Bible. I will pursue the Spirit of God. And so today I want to talk to you about some whys and what's of the pursuit of the Holy Spirit. Are you in Luke chapter 3? I figured that the best way to start this, to really get into teaching this series, because we just sort of laid it out the last two weeks, we want to teach through this series, is to start with Jesus. I trust you don't find him objectionable, since you're in church and just took communion. So let's start with Jesus. Let's start with the life of the Spirit in the life of Jesus to explain some what's. All right, three what's that I have for you today. And then hopefully by the end of the sermon, I can get you to a why. All right, three what's and then a why. Let's take the pursuit of the Holy Spirit from nebulous to realize this morning. Luke chapter 21, we're going to start in the Jordan River. We're going to start at that place where John the Baptist was baptizing people, getting them ready for Jesus to come. A baptism of repentance, people saying, I want to turn my life back to God. So go ahead, dunk me, John. And here comes Jesus. And what happens next is quite interesting. Verse 21 of Luke chapter 3. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son with, with whom I am well pleased. 
So we have an appearance of the Trinity all in one moment here at the baptism of Jesus. This is the first movement of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all there at the same time at the baptism of the Lord. This is one of the most important moments in all of Scripture. You say, how do you know that? Because all four gospel writers relate this moment. They all relate this moment, and they all relate the reception of the Spirit. They think this is incredibly important to tell us as Christians. Now, we talked about baptism for four weeks back in March of this year. We talked about all of the aspects of baptism. We talked about a passage in which Jesus went down into the Jordan, and John says, Jesus, why are you here? You don't need to be baptized for repentance. Christianity 101 says Jesus didn't sin. That's why communion works, right? That's why the blood of Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for our sins works. Jesus was sinless. So, so why does Jesus get baptized? He says in the book of Matthew, John, I came here to fulfill all righteousness. That's why I'm here. I'm doing this because my, my followers need to do this. The ones that come after me need to do this. This is a counterintuitive act of obedience on the part of Jesus, is it not? Because you would say, well, Jesus is the sinless son of God. He doesn't need to be baptized, but he does anyways in an act of obedient righteousness. And in this moment of counterintuitive obedience, what happens? The Holy Spirit descends upon him. I want you to note that. In a moment of counterintuitive obedience, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, and God the Father loves it. So much so that the bot coal happens for all you Hebrew scholars, all one and a half of you, right? The, the, the Hebrews were waiting for the bot coal, 400 years of waiting for the, for, the, for the audible voice from heaven. And here's the bot coal, the audible voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That bot coal would have emanated from the Jordan River that day. They would have said, this Jesus of Nazareth was baptized and we heard the bot coal. It would have gone all over Judea, okay? This is a great big moment. Every gospel writer wants to relay it that Jesus went down to be baptized, that he received the Spirit, and God the Father was like, yeah. This is an important thing. Now, I want you to notice something about this particular passage. Luke gives us a little bit of feel for what was going on. Jesus was baptized, and then it says, as he was praying. Did you catch it? As he was, what was he praying for? What was he praying for? Was he praying to be miraculously dried? At that moment, what was, he, what was he after? Well, it's clear. He was praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon him. Now, now, if I were to tell you, you want the Holy Spirit in your life, you should pray, all of you would say, duh. If there's one thing I know, Pastor Matt, about the Holy Spirit, is that if I want his presence in my life, I should probably pray that his presence would come into my life. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that this morning. I'm going to try to take a, a general concept, a big, a big picture concept of what's happening in this moment of Trinitarian awesomeness, and it's this. The Spirit moves into humble obedience. That's what's taking place here. At, at the moment of his baptism, as he was praying, the Spirit moves in, covers him, and fills him. You say, well, you make a lot out of one passage. No, I don't. Because you could turn to Acts 2.38 and see the exact same thing for you and me. When the initial Christians are listening to the first Christian sermon ever from the Apostle Peter, and they recognize, oh, Jesus is the Messiah. He has died for our sins. He has raised from the dead. They say, Peter, what must we do? Peter says, you guys need to repent. 
You need to be baptized, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the exact same pattern, except that Jesus didn't have to repent. That's what's going on here. The Spirit moves into our humble obedience, saying, God, I am ready for you to move in my life and do what you want to do. This is an important thing we have to understand theologically. The Spirit is moving not into the righteousness of Jesus, not into the lack of sin. The Spirit is moving into the obedience of Jesus because it's the obedience that reverses the curse. I haven't taught on that for a while. I haven't been there since we were in the story. But what initially went wrong between us and God was what A.J. prayed about today. He had no idea I was going here, but a lack of trust, a lack of belief in the word of the Lord, a lack of, of ability to go ahead and say, you know what, God, this is counterintuitive to me. This is humbling to me. It's not the way I think, but I'm going to go ahead and do it your way anyhow. That's what Adam and Eve failed to do. But this is what Jesus is doing as the new Adam. He's obeying the voice of the Lord even when it seems counterintuitive to do so. And in this moment of obedience, here comes the Spirit. Is anybody's theological cap on this morning? Is this, is this resonating? I know we're going a little bit deeper today, but Pastor Otto just kicked us off with deep theology. He had us in Leviticus, for heaven's sakes, this morning. So we just figure we're just going to keep it going, all right? That, that, that what Jesus is doing is, is, is reversing the curse in this moment. He is going to be perfectly obedient to the voice of his Father. And in this moment of obedience, the very first public act of his, of his ministry, his humble, counterintuitive, Obedience to the voice of the Father results in the Spirit descending upon him and God going, ooh, yeah, I love that. I love that. See, this, this is what we should expect if we begin to listen to the voice of the Spirit. We should expect these moments where God goes, listen to my voice and obey. And then as you listen to the voice and obey, you feel the presence of the Lord come upon you. I can sense from the people nodding at me that someone believes this is true. They've experienced this in their own life. The voice of the Father or the voice of the Spirit leads you to an act in your mind of counterintuitive obedience. Why shouldn't I do that, God? And God says, no, no, I want you to do this. And you go, okay, well, you're God. I'm not going to be Adam and Eve. I'm going to be me. And I'm going to obey you even though it doesn't feel good or feel right or even sound right. And when I do, all of a sudden, I feel the presence of the Lord and begin to realize his manifest presence in my life. We were talking about this in staff this week. We were talking about the difference between the omnipresence of the Spirit of God and the manifest presence of the Spirit of God. The idea that the presence of God is always here. He, he's always here. God is omnipresent. But in the experience of the life of the Christian, the experience of the New Testament, is that there are times of the overwhelming manifest presence of God. God is keenly felt. And when we talk about the pursuit of the Spirit, we can't pursue the omnipresence. It's already here. God's presence is already here. What we can pursue is the manifest presence of God. The idea that, that we can hear from, feel, and, and experience in a tangible way that God is among us. What opens the door to this? Obedience. Listening to the voice of God and saying, that doesn't make sense to me, but okay. I remember years ago I was on a missions trip, and we didn't have even, even a band like this. We, we had the unplugged band today. We were in the House of Blues here at Victory Life. We had the unplugged band, but, but we, we didn't even have this. In fact, we didn't even have many musicians on this missions trip that we were on. And, and we were on this missions trip, but every night we'd go in this little shack 
and we'd have a worship service, and somebody would lead out a worship song that we, they hoped we knew. We didn't know if we did. There were, no, there were no song sheets, no computers. We didn't even have overle- overhead projector and slides. We'd just sing, and we worshiped the Lord together. And I'm telling you, some of those people could not sing. They were as tone deaf as all get out. Some of the people leading the songs were tone deaf. It was awful, but it was awesome because the hearts were in the right place. There was a gentleman on that trip with us. He was actually one of the helpers leading the trip, somebody that I respect very much in faith, still goes to church here. And he said, he said at the end of our worship time, he goes, guys, I had to say something. And we said, okay, well, what do you want to say? He says, you know what? We're worshiping tonight. And I've never been like lift your hands and worship Christian. I know it's in the Old Testament, and I know it's a visible sign of, a, of an inward thing going on, but I've just never, never done that. He said, but I was sitting here tonight, and the Lord says, why don't you lift your hands and surrender to me? So he did. And he said, I felt the presence of the Lord so strong right in that moment. He goes, I don't know why I waited so long. Now, I don't, I, I, on a personal level, I don't care if you raise your hand in worship. I don't care how loud you sing. I don't care if you kneel. If you dance, just don't, th- you know, I suppose you could dance up here, but if you do it every week, we'll know it's about you. Anyhow, long story short, there's a lot of ways. Every charismatic in the church was like, yes, I've seen it. All the Methodists and Baptists are like, what is that? So anyhow, long story short. Sometimes people dance in church, and sometimes they need to be seen, and then you go, can go dance in the back. Long story short, long story short, okay, David danced before the Lord, why shouldn't I? Okay, so long story short, that moment of humble obedience, right, unleash that moment of the Spirit's work. You've heard people talk about baptism itself, the initial act of, 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 of obedience to the Lord that people engage in, like that's counterintuitive, Hey, Karen, why don't you meet me in the tank and I'll dunk you in front of everybody and you'll come up wet and you might get water up your nose and then you can go (laughs) while everybody's looking at you. Like this is a counterintuitive act of obedience, but haven't you heard people say it was the moment of my baptism that God did something special in my life, right? Okay? So if you pursue the Holy Spirit, he's going to invite you to do things that look Christian, (laughs) okay? He's going to invite you to, to step out in faith and do something counterintuitive that, 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 that is obedient because if you can be obedient in the small things, eventually he can help you be obedient in the big things, right? If you can humble yourself and be obedient in the things that just look Christian, okay, like praying, praying is counterintuitive. The world would look at us and say, why are you muttering into the, into the air, but we as Christians know that the, the, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Thank you, King James. The, 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 the regular prayer of God's people is powerful and effective. Thank you, NIV. So, so we know that prayer, prayer moves the hand of God. It's counterintuitive. But when we humble ourselves and we engage in it, the Holy Spirit can come and move among us. Are you catching it? Are you catching it? When we talk about the pursuit of the Lord, I want you to understand these moments of humble obedience get us to the point where we can do more for God. Wasn't that true in the life of Jesus? God was pleased at this initial act of obedience to kick off his ministry. He was going to ask harder things than getting dunked in the river. He was going to ask a lot harder things of Jesus. But he needed the Holy Spirit at that moment. And God moves in. The Holy Spirit moves into the humble obedience. Let's keep going. Let's look at the second movement. Let's skip ahead a little bit. And I want you to look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. This is the thing that happens just after this moment. It says, And Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan 
and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. You say, what are you going to make of this, Pastor Matt? Well, I want to make a couple of things of it. I, I want us to see this movement. I want us to see this progression. I want you to see a second what in the life of Jesus that took place as the Holy Spirit comes. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus, and I want you to notice in verse 1 exactly what it says. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and remained, all right? Now, that's a different sermon for a different time, but I just want you to hear that and let it register, and you can keep it in the back of your brain for a different sermon for a different time. I want you to see more show what happens next. Jesus then is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, okay? Now, that word led is, 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 is from the Greek word lambano, and I know all of you Greek scholars, all one and a half of you Greek scholars, in the room today, understand that lambano means cast. Literally, the Holy Spirit is pushing Jesus into this moment, into the wilderness to do what? Some more counterintuitive obedience. Why don't you fast for 40 days? And what are you going to do as you're fasting for 40 days? You're going to be tempted, and you're going to need to overcome that temptation. So I want you to see that the Holy Spirit is calling the shots here, and he's, he's, he's casting Jesus into the wilderness. He's saying, you need to go out there. Because who wants to go in the wilderness for 40 days and not eat anything? Not me. I have some lovely chicken salad waiting for me for the Browns game this afternoon. I'm excited about it. All right? Nobody wants to go 40 days without eating. And where is the Spirit casting him to? To be tempted. The Spirit is driving him into the wilderness where the Spirit knows he's going to be tempted. Why? What's going on here? The Spirit is pushing Jesus into the wilderness in order to be tempted because Jesus is going to have to put away sin once and for all if he's going to do all that God has for him to do. This is the next movement in the life of the pursuit of the Spirit. The Spirit is going to wage war on sin. This is what the Spirit's doing. Now, I'm, I'm taking you somewhere. We're going somewhere this morning. Just, just stick with me. We're going to get to the third what, and then there's going to be a why. All right? But you're like, sin... Why does the Holy Spirit need to do this in the life of Jesus? Well, you could answer that. If I were to look at you and say, hey, folks, why did Jesus need to overcome temptation? And I gave you eight seconds, you could come up with the answer. You would say something to the effect of simple. Jesus needed to overcome temptation so he could do all that God had for him to do. Okay. Folks, why would the Spirit care that you overcome sin? I'll give you the same eight seconds. Simple. The Spirit is going to wage war on sin in your life so that you can do all that God has for you to do. Sin leaves us dirty, it leaves us distracted, it leaves us delinquent, and it leaves us disheartened. I tried to come up with a fifth D, but I ran out. The, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to dwell with sin. Does everybody get that concept? Everybody got that? The, 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 the Jewish people celebrated Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, on Thursday, did you know? But our atonement's already been bought for us. The Messiah has come. He's covered over our sins so that a holy God can dwell with a sinful people. That's what we celebrated in communion this morning. And by celebrating with communion this morning, we were saying God doesn't want to dwell with sin. The fact of the matter is, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would walk deep into the temple, go through the holy place, and then into the most holy place to make atonement for the sins of the people. And he could only go in there once a year, and he had to go dressed as a slave. 
Because God was reminding them that he had no right to be in relationship with them. The people had no right to have God dwell among them. Well, thank God for Jesus. We have every right for God to dwell with us today. But that doesn't mean that God wants to dwell in our sin. And I want to tell you today, if you begin to pursue the voice of the Holy Spirit, if you begin to pray and say, God, I do want your presence in my life. I am convinced that I need that. I am convinced that the world needs that. I am convinced that you have things for me to do in this world, and I can't do them unless I have the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. Well, well then, he's going to wage war on sin in you. Because even if God in his mercy will dwell with you in spite of your sin, he doesn't want you distracted. He doesn't want you delinquent. And he doesn't want you disheartened. And that's what sin does to us, does it not? It distracts us from the work of God. It keeps us from the work of God that we've been called to. And it just makes us feel really bad about ourselves, disheartened. The Spirit's going to wage war on sin because God has things he wants to do through us. Jesus did it, so we should do it. Jesus had a higher standard than we have. He needed to overcome temptation. Good news for us you're allowed to be tempted, just don't go there, right? Jesus went to a really high level, but, but even that's instructive. Anybody who's ever dealt with like a chemical dependence or an addiction to pornography or something like that, you know that you have to shut off the valve of temptation, not just the valve of sin, right? So, so Jesus had some temptations that were germane to him, and we could study that at another time, and you have some temptations that are germane to you. It might be the desire for power. It might be the love of money. It might be lust. It might be chemical dependence. It might be something that gets you off track and distracted, delinquent, and disheartened. But, but, but God, in his mercy, if you begin to pursue him in prayer and say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, change me. He'll want to change you. He'll want to he'll do the work to make sure that you can do all the work that God has for you to do. He's going to wage war on sin in your life. If he did it in the life of Jesus, he'll do it in your life as well. So, so why am I making these distinctions today? Why did we start here? Why is this important? Because I want to tell you, as you begin to experience the manifest presence of God, he's going to ask you to obey, and he's going to ask you to repent. Like, you can't get to the power of word and deed if you're going to be sitting in sin and disobedience. Is this making sense? You can't get to the place God has for you to go if you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to do his primary work in you, which is to overcome the effects of the fall, and God still is taking sin seriously to eradicate the sin in your life that leaves you dirty, distracted, delinquent, and disheartened. He's going to deal with that. So we can talk all day about, let's pursue the Spirit, and we'll feel his presence, and we will hear from, act from, and speak from the Lord, unless we don't because we've been ignoring his voice on two primary matters of obedience and righteousness. Is this resounding? Good. Nobody said yes, but I'm going to go with it. Third movement. We're almost done. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. We're not going to go through all the temptation of Jesus today. We're just going to look at the effect of the temptation of Jesus. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Can everybody say power of the Spirit? Power of the Spirit. Jesus returned from his temptation in the power of the Spirit. Whoa. To Galilee. And a report about him went through all of the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. 
If you go a little bit further on in chapter 4, it says, this guy is different. This is the first one to speak with authority, says the people of Galilee. We've heard a lot of people say a lot of things, but this one speaks with authority. And, of course, Jesus did those whole miracle things, too, that, that pointed to God working through his life. See, this is the point that you already knew. This is the point that we've talked about enough. This is the idea that you've heard about enough. The Spirit brings power to our words and to our deeds. Right? That the Holy Spirit of God, a gift for all of us, according to Acts chapter 2, can bring power to our words and our deeds. That is abundantly clear. You know that that's the idea here. And Jesus returned in power to Galilee. He didn't return the same by, by operating in that counterintuitive obedience and dealing with the temptation to sin and setting that aside and saying, I'm never going to go there. I'm never going to go there. That is not going to be for me. I am not going to be tempted to power or tempted to use my power for my own ends or even to have people, people glorify me. I want to glorify the Father. I'm not going to do any of that, Satan. I'm going to overcome that sin. Yeah, I'll go down in the Jordan to be baptized. I know that's going to make, make question marks for people. Why does he need to be baptized if he's the Messiah? I know that's, going to, that's counterintuitive, but I'm going to do it anyways because my Father asked me to. I'm going to operate in obedience, and I'm going to, I'm going to pursue righteousness. So then at that moment... God's power can move through me. And, and I want to I, I, I just make this clear, folks. We're going to be giving you opportunities. We're going to be encouraging you. We're going to pray together. We're going to seek together. There's going to be times this year where we just seek the Lord together and ask for his presence and ask for his movement and ask for his power. But do not be surprised if obedience and righteousness are on his agenda. Don't be surprised if obedience and righteousness are on his agenda before we get to the power of word and deed. We're all supposed to follow the model of Jesus. This is a movement that all of us are supposed to make, okay? God doesn't want us powerless in this world. He wants us to speak with authority. He wants us to speak with authority of the as the people of God. But he's gonna deal with some things if we pursue his spirit, if we begin to pray and ask his spirit to change us. So let's end with some whys. Why did Jesus pursue the Spirit? Why was Jesus led by the Spirit? Why did he listen to the voice of the Spirit? Jesus did because the world needed Jesus. Jesus operated this way because the world needed him. They needed him to operate in power. They needed him to do life as a human, but be led by the Spirit in a way that the humans after him were to be led by the Spirit. He needed to model it to us. He needed to operate in power. He didn't need to write a book. Books would be written about him. He, he didn't need to always preach the perfect sermon. Sometimes he was going to need a deed of power. Anybody remember the woman at the well? He preached a pretty good sermon and she scoffed, right? And then he speaks to her the truth of her life and she's changed. You see, Jesus is going to need to do so much to pursue you and me and to bring salvation to you and me. He's going to need power. Jesus did because the world needed him. Why should we pursue the Spirit? We do because the world needs Jesus. That's the why. The world needs people who will be obedient to the voice of God in humility and who won't get tripped up by sin, who then can operate in words and deeds of power in this world.
The world needs Jesus to be replicated through us. That's the why. You cannot replicate Jesus without the Holy Spirit's work. Because all of us, no matter of the denomination, no matter of the background, no matter if we are coming to faith and weren't raised in church, all of us assent to the idea that we are to replicate Jesus. We are to look like him and act like him and be like him. We recognize that that was part of his mission in coming to earth. And I'm going to say it again. You cannot replicate Jesus without the Holy Spirit's work. You can't. But does anybody assent to the idea that the world still needs Jesus? And the reason that the church has not yet been taken to be with the Lord is because the Father is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we are on this earth to bring more men and women to God, to bring people to a saving knowledge of Christ Jesus, and to see him change them for eternity. Why should you, as a person, pursue the Spirit? Not just my church pursues the Spirit or my, my church service pursues. Why should you? Because God wants you to do it like Jesus did it. And the people around you still need Jesus. And I want to tell you, you can be a good person and you can be a Bible reader and you can be a church attender, and that does mean something. That's not empty and void. Hear me. But in this post-Christendom world, where people are further than ever from the truth of the gospel, where people are militant against the faith that we profess. We need the Holy Spirit like never before to move through us and in us. That's why. That's why. Will you be open? Will you be open? And I know, I know why we don't want to be open. It's the first two movements. If I'm open to the Spirit, God's going to ask me to do something humbling, and I don't wish to be humbled. I know I've been there. In fact, I live there daily. And I know if I open the door to the voice of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to have to deal with my crud, the sins that trip me up. And I don't want to deal with those. That's how I cope, and that's who I am. But the world needs Jesus. And you're here as his servant to replicate him in this world. To operate as he did in the power of the Spirit. Don't let your pride or your fear of dealing get in the way of what God wants to do through you. I want to get to heaven along with you and be high-fiving and jumping I'll even, I'll even, I don't know, I'll even do a bell kick for all the people that we affect with the gospel because we pursued the Spirit together. It'll be great joy knowing that we humbled ourselves and did that and pursued all that God had for us. Are you open a little bit more than you were when you came in? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, sometimes your word and a good dose of theology does the heavy lifting. God, we all come from different places, but we all have the same end. 
one day we'll stand before you face to face and we'll give an account of what we did with the time that we had. Lord, I pray that we would be able to say we held nothing back. We gave all of ourselves to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now about an act of obedience. And if he's doing that, I invite you just in a few minutes of prayer right in this place to do something physical to match what's taking place in you spiritually. If God's been calling you to an act of obedience and you've been ignoring his voice, but you say, Pastor Matt, I do want the Spirit's work in my life. I need God like never before. Then I invite you right now as we pray to do something physical to match the spiritual. Whether it's lifting two hands towards heaven and surrender, whether it's putting two knees to the earth in humility, whether it's standing right where you are, which would signal, I need somebody to come pray with me right now because I'm really struggling. You just do that right now. The Lord said, let's make this place a house of prayer. And if today the Lord's dealing with you in terms of righteousness, say there is something in my life that I need the Holy Spirit to battle with me and in humility I know my need of God and I'm just going to humble myself and admit that before God today I invite you right in this moment to do something physical to match the spiritual whether it's lifting two holy hands to God kneeling two knees to the earth or standing so one of our elders will come and pray with you you do it right now say God move I need you to move Finally today, if you're in a place right in this moment and you say, Pastor Matt, I want so desperately for God to give power to my words and deeds. There's people in my life that need Jesus and I am at a loss. My lifestyle has not mattered. My words have not mattered. I feel empty and powerless to help them come to salvation. I need the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom, direction, power and strength. If that's you today, just stand right now. There's someone in my life and I feel empty. Amen. 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 I'm going to pray over you. Our elders are going to move around. They might lay a hand on your shoulder just to pray for you. standing so you just keep standing if you want somebody to come pray with you but let's just go to the Lord let's just make this place a house of prayer Heavenly Father something here has resonated with your people something here is moving hearts we know that's you Holy Spirit oh we need you God we are not willing that people should perish but that all should come to repentance God, we need you to manifest your power through us. God, we admit the times we've been disobedient to you. Oh, Lord, may we obey. Lord, we admit the times that we've let sin trip us up. Oh, Lord, forgive us and make us new. 
And Lord, most of all, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move through us because we want Jesus to be so real in the lives of the people that we interact with every day. They need you. They need you. They need you. So Holy Spirit, fill us up right now. Move in our hearts right now. Speak to our spirits right now. Manifest your presence right now in this place. God, I pray that we would know that we are not alone, but that you are with us, that you've made a dwelling in our hearts, and you're not going anywhere. And that, Lord, we don't have to walk in timidity and fear, but in power and and with love and with a sound mind. So, Lord, set us out from this place full of your spirit today. Move among us today in such a way that we know you were here. And send us from this place ready to do all that you have for us to do. Holy Spirit, move. Move in power. Clean us out. Make us trusting of our Lord. And make us ready to speak and to move as you have called us to do. Lord Jesus, you so love the world that you came and you gave and you suffered and you died and you rose to life that we might have life also. So I ask today that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead would be at work in our mortal bodies. We don't claim that out of some hope. We claim that out of your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would move among us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are with us. We pray all these things today in Jesus' matchless name. Would everybody stand in this place? speak a word to so many of you who stood for that third prompt today. When he speaks this week, you speak. And you trust that voice. It's him. It's him. When he, when he causes you to participate in an act of service that seems counterintuitive, you move and do it. Because he wants to move in that. When he asks you to say to that person, can I pray for you? and you're certain you'll be rejected, you ask anyway, okay? Let's be the hands and feet of Christ and trust that the Spirit of God is not counterfeit, but he'll move and he'll work through us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your time with us today. God, we thank you that we have the right of assembly here in our country. Thank you that we can come and worship you without fear and that we can go from this place proclaiming you in the fear of the Lord. God, I pray that you would use us mightily, that your people would pursue your spirit, that other men and women might know that Jesus has come for them. Send us from this place with your blessing, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you.